Welcome to our last episode of Season 1 of Magical Humans. This episode was recorded with a live audience in the fall of 2019 during Portland Textile Month. This is Magical Humans, and I am Vania Vananina. I am an artist and creativity expert, and I am on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. Thank you for being here. I told you already from the bottom of my heart, this means so much to me. I want to start by thanking the lovely people at the Armory for having us here and donating this beautiful space for community. I want to share with you my why. Why am I here and why, why does this podcast exist? So... I am an artist and I work with my hands a lot, uh, usually ceramics, but sometimes it's a pump, a giant pump pump, 2 a.m., or sometimes I'm hand sewing, giant cushions. It depends on the day in the inspiration. But the reality is that I am a bookworm or I grew up a bookworm and I love, I'm a super curious human and I always want to know more about what people think and what people feel and what is their why and, and why, why, why and more, 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 right? So I can, since I cannot read that much if I'm working on the pottery wheel or uh, sewing something or painting, I started to consume a lot of audiobooks and a lot of podcasts. And audiobooks are pretty straightforward because you know what you're getting into, you maybe know the author. But with podcasts, I found myself like always listening to different versions of the same interview where they would always ask them the same. They wouldn't get too deep. And you know, if you know me or if you're just getting to know me today, I'm in the first five minutes, I might ask you, what is your relationship with grief? Or what is your biggest fuck up in life? And because I want to know those things. And I decided that I wanted to create a podcast to ask all those questions and also share that those stories and, and highlighting these amazing humans that are just like you and me and they go to bed every night and they wake up and they have complicated relationships with family and they lose people and they have amazing high moments of joy and excitement. And, you know, we're all the same. It's just like we're in different shells and we have different colors and sizes, but really inside we're all the same. So I decided to do that and I didn't know how or when But I just had the, that idea in my heart. And, you know, the universe has a way to, to work um, magically. So I met Annie and turns out Annie and her husband Jonah had all this experience producing podcasts and they had just launched their own company. It's called Puddle Creative. So one thing led to another and Annie said like, well, I will totally do a podcast with you. And I'm like, are you for real? Because like I want to interview Oprah and Beyonce and all these local people and stuff. And she's like, yeah. So then on the way from her house to my house, uh, which was, I don't know, like 20 minutes, I came up with an 80 guest list of ideal people that I just wanted to know more about them. And it was a mix of, you know, Oprah and Beyonce and a lot of local makers and I'm fortunate enough that those two makers are joining me today. They were part of that initial 80 people list. And it was all women but Tre and Trevor Noah. It was the only men. Anyway, um, it was very important to me to also highlight stories of people of color and of women and 
a diverse group of people that maybe don't always have the chance to be on the spotlight or have or share this story in a different way. The next day I call Annie and I'm like, Annie, how are we doing this? And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, the podcast. And she's like, oh, you're for real? And I'm like, I'm for real, real. So then we started planning it and we started recording last year. And it has been an amazing first season of highs and lows and a lot of learning curves and amazing surprises and also like stress, you know, like everything. It's it's work. And even though we do it with all our heart, it's still work. But I am so happy that I'm here wrapping up the first season and remember this moment because then when I have, you know, my interview with Oprah and stuff, I'll give you a shout out. So the textile part of my story here, besides these blobs that I had a vision and I decided to make, um, it's a T-shirt that my friend Natalie here is wearing. And it's a t-shirt full of little doodles that became a bigger illustration. And I call it the feminist doodle t-shirt or the my body, my choice t-shirt. And that t-shirt came to life because four years ago, when I was starting my artistic journey in Portland, I was selected to be a part of a feminist art show. And that tiny little gallery in the Everett uh, Street Lofts, it doesn't exist anymore. But at that moment for me, that was like the MoMA and the Met. And it was so important to me. And I made two pieces. One, it was a super colorful neon vulva. And then a uterus telling to treat yourself. Um, and it was a lot of things came up from my upbringing and PE classes and my macho teachers. And I was born and raised in Mexico. You know, it's there's a lot of um, machismo there. And, you know, also being a woman and what it means to walk on the street and then having someone cat call you or how you don't feel safe in spaces or, you know, all of that, that it means to be a, to grow up like a woman and be a woman in this world. So I started doodling in this piece of paper that it was like a scrap. I think it was a page of a really old calendar on the back of it. And I started doodling things like, don't whistle at me. I'm not a dog. Don't tell me to smile. Freedom. Raise your voice. I drew like a little set of books and on the spines I drew the names of people that inspired me. Rosario Castellanos, Sor Juan Inés de la Cruz, Mindy Calling. I don't know, like other, it's, it's a series of names. I also drew with all this love, like a little tampon and a little maxi pad and like uh, birth control pills. And also in Scrabble letters, as you can see in the center of the design, it says my body, my choice. And all these other little illustrations that for me meant so much. And then I ended up with all of these illustrations that were a work of art. And I thought I needed to share that. So I did, and I had my little, I don't want to say bootleg, but, you know, super DIY screen printing uh, set up in my house that my loving husband, Juan, helped me to put up. I was burning the screens in my closet, washing them off in the shower, running out. Like, you, it, just, it was just a mess, but I was so happy doing it. And it was giving me life, and it was very life-affirming to me. Like, you know what? I am here. And I don't want you to keep calling me names when I walked on the street naked or with a burqa. And, you know, I'm a woman and I am here. And, and this is what it is for me to be a woman and live in this world. And, 
And it's my body and it's my choice. And maybe you don't share the, those same views with me. But for me, it's so, so important. So it was an act of artistic expression, yes, but mostly self-love and self-care. And I had hopes of like selling those t-shirts in that exhibition that happened four years ago. It didn't happen. I was like hand uh, heat setting them with a, with a heat gun. It was like a mess, but eventually I came up with the first batch and it went viral. And Beach Magazine selected my Feminist Doodles t-shirt to be in their gift guide for 2015. And then suddenly I was dropped, we were dropping something at the post office and then my phone was just like going crazy. And it was my friend telling me like, oh my God, I just saw your t-shirt on bitch. And I'm like, what does that mean? What, what, what is happening? And then like orders. And I, it was really weird. And um, I've sold dozens and dozens of t-shirts all over the world because of that little moment of self-care when I decided to draw hard and inside bold, beautiful brains because I am more than my breasts and my hips and what I look like. It's the human in me, the spirit in this shell that is what matters and that it, it was just so, so important. And I'm at the same time I'm at a, that I have all this artistic expression and I have a podcast and I talk out of my elbows and my mom says that when I die, my epitaph is going to say, finally, she rested because, you know, I talk so much. Anyway, I'm at a loss for words because it's so important to me and I feel all the feels. So that is my piece regarding textile and screen printing. And that t-shirt had several batches and runs and eventually I... I don't know, like something happened inside of me, life was happening and I stopped making it and people still ask for it. And now I'm bringing it back with a new little illustration, which is the menstrual cup and an IUD. And I think that's it. But it's like it's the same doodles and you can come up to Natalie and see it. And also I have the images of the new colorways on my iPad. And one really cool thing is people often ask me to sign them sign the t-shirts for them or sign my works of art. So if you feel like getting one and wearing those little batches of feminism and humanness and you get one today, I will do a personalized illustration, one of a kind, that one day you can auction Sotheby's or Christie's. So yeah, you'll be able to see the pictures there. One of my guests, her name is Alisa Ray Graciano. She's a trilingual people of color fiber artist. Once in, a, in the tech industry as a linguistic specialist, she left her day job to pursue a creative career. While she mainly knits, crochet, macrames, and weaves, she also lives life and has three dogs and a partner and family and a lot of things going on. She started Black Sheep Made, her business, as a way to fund an internship abroad while in college. But over the last three years, it has evolved into large public installations, long-term pop-ups, and traveling workshops. Alisa Ray, please join me on stage. Hi, guys. Thanks for coming, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. And... My other special guest, her name is Drea Johnson. 
Joria is an entrepreneur, body positive model, and advocate for intersectional feminism and sustainable apparel. She is the colorful and the imaginative owner behind Hidden Opulence Design House. Joria's purpose was to create a comfortable, fun, and inspirational alterations environment for not only the local community, but especially those who are POC, identify as queer, or simply need more support embracing their own bodies. Originally from Southern California, Drea has called Portland home for the past seven years and currently lives life with her partner and aquatic turtle, Miss Millet. Drea, please join me on stage. Hey guys, thanks for having me as well. I'm really excited. Thank you for being here. It means the world to me that you dedicate your life creating or mending things that are special to other people and therefore yourselves and you each have your own sense of style and your businesses are different and I assume your creative journeys are also different. So I want to start this conversation by asking you just like so people can can know what city did you grow up And how old are you? And what is your favorite cereal? Um, I am, I'm sorry to say I'm not from Portland. I, uh, I transplanted here. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but I'm from San Jose, California. So right in the middle of the Bay Area. I am currently 25 years old. And my favorite cereal is no longer made, but uh, I ate it a ton as a child. It was called Waffle Crisps. And it basically just tastes like maple syrup in a bowl. And it was amazing. So I'm originally from Southern California. I was born and raised in Chino, California, but I often say Pomona because I feel like that's the city that raised me up. I went to college there as well. So I have like just a deep connection to Pomona. I'm 28 and my favorite cereal, um, the Simpsons put out <laughs> a series of cereals like a long time ago and There was the Homer. I think it was the Homer. It was a cinnamon sugar uh, donut. Yeah, that's my favorite cereal. I don't have cereal anymore because it's they don't make it anymore. <laughs> Solid. So I want to know what is your why? Why do you create Hidden Opulence? Why did you create Black Sheep Made? What is the why that fuels you? What is the why that makes you go to work and do whatever you have to do, even if you don't feel like it or because you're having a hard day or you are going through something. And also, what is the why that makes you jump out of bed and be like, yes, let's do this? Go ahead, Drea. All right. Um, my why. I'm often really struck by the stories from the folks that bring me, the clients that I have that bring me all of their goods. I love to hear about like all of the heirloom items that they want to repair and like why they want to keep it, where they got it. I recently worked on a piece where a woman had worked on a weaving after a horse accident and her story, it almost like brought both of us to tears when we were sitting there just talking about like how she had made that. So it's the stories from my clients and um, a lot of the designers that I work with are also creating items for people that don't necessarily have space, people who are like femme identifying or POCs or just like being body inclusive. So that's my big why. I get to work with really awesome people 
within the industry and just everyday folks? My why, I guess, is to connect cultures and connect people of all ages. Um, I started knitting and crocheting like in high school just because I didn't want to pay attention in Spanish class because I already knew Spanish, so I should do something else. Um, But as time went on, I realized that I wanted to be able to create a lifestyle and a career that I had control over or as much control as you can have over anything. But folks would often say that I was too young to be knitting or, you know, you know, you're starting a business and you're like 19. What are you thinking? So I just wanted to show that, you know, whatever your passion is, you can really make something out of it. And teaching others, you know, whether I teach them knitting, macrame or crochet, that you could always pick something up no matter what age you are or if you are crafty or if you have two left hands, Um, but just showing others that they can also make something um, because you get such a feeling of accomplishment once you make something with your own two hands. And I think it's important to share that, um, you know, just no matter where you're from or what language you speak. So my why is just wanting to show these people that you can also do it. The thing that does make me jump out of bed, I'm like, that was the second part of the question. It's sustainability. Apparel is like one of the most wasteful industries right now and amongst many. And I really like hidden opulence is kind of my way to also teach people to repurpose and save and try and keep things out of the uh, landfill. Thank you. That's really important. I'm curious, of course, I'm always curious. I'm curious about what is your favorite part of your work or your craft? What is the thing that you're like, oh man, if I could just do this all day? Oh, I think teaching workshops. Um, I started teaching workshops in, I think, maybe 2017, 2016. But seeing the joy on people's faces when they figured out how to tie a knot or that they ended up making a dog bed that their dog is actually going to use, that was really thrilling for me. And the high that I, the natural high (laughs) that I had um, when I finished teaching a workshop and seeing these people, you know, cuddle in the blankets that we all just made uh, really inspired me just to keep going. And that was a feeling I didn't get from my day job, from sitting at a desk every day. Um, So seeing that joy in other people is, I think, my favorite part. Uh, And just seeing people around town wearing, like, the other day I saw a woman wearing my beanie. And I know she doesn't know who I am, but I noticed that beanie. I'm like, hey, I made that. That's cool. Like, it's keeping somebody warm. Um, So that, that kind of sense of purpose also. Oh, man. What's my favorite part? There's a lot of different parts. Um... I really enjoy each project that comes in is kind of like a puzzle. Mm -hmm. So it's really fun to work my brain and figure out like, how am I going to execute this? The other part is I'm a big people person. So I really love being a cheerleader for people when they come in for fitting. Sometimes, sometimes they don't feel super confident in what they're wearing. And I love being that person that says, Oh my God, please wear that. Please do this. (laughs) You look so good. Make it for maybe some more, maybe some more. Yeah. I love that. And now I felt the joy in both your responses and like, I get it. I get, I get why you do what you do, but also, you know, to get real, what is your least favorite part of what you do? What is a challenging part? Something that it's, I don't want to say like a constant lesson, but something that you're like, okay, this is trying, but I'm going to get through it. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's my least favorite part, uh, but I'm, very aware that I suck at responding at emails and messages in a timely manner. 
there are probably a handful of opportunities that I missed because I just didn't want to open my email and respond to all of these questions. Uh, so definitely the administrative side. And I think for any creative person having to sit down, buckle down and navigate your way through taxes. I mean, taxes are hard <laughs> just for anyone, yeah. Um, yeah. but having that creative side of the brain be more active, you're like, ah, numbers, pass. Uh, it's definitely anything to do with paperwork or that requires me to sit down and give a response. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. The administrative stuff is not super great. Also social media, I'm not super great at social media. It just seems a little exhausting sometimes. It is. Uh, I definitely just act like a fool on social media, but people yeah. respond. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> they always like the wackier stuff. They do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely the administrative stuff. So like just like even keeping numbers and stuff like that, not my favorite. I just want to work on the projects. Yeah. And then on that... Well, first, I want to say thank you for applying to my email like, <laughs> because we're here. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. And second, what is something that, okay, you know that is a tough zone or something that is tricky for you. What do you do or who do you ask for help or what uh, tricks or apps or tools do you use that help you get better in that? If there are any. Mm. Uh, I thankfully have a partner who is essentially the total opposite of me. Uh, he is the, the organized one, the one who knows how much money is where at all times. So thankfully I have his reminders, uh, to remind me to do the business side of actually doing a business. So your partner uh, is your yeah. best uh, Yeah, he's Yeah, he's my best reminder. And <laughs> he may not be completely involved in my business, but he's definitely there on the sidelines like, hey, what are your profit margins? Hey, how much did you spend on material? Is it working? So you're what? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, just what are those things? Um, <laughs> yeah. But also just the community that I've found here in Portland has been extremely helpful, whether it's another artist or uh, there's somebody here today, Dawn. Uh, she owns a local fiber shop. And I don't know how many times I have rode my bike to her store and asked a million questions. And I already know that she has her own million things of doing, of running a business. Her own um, taxes to do. Yeah, her own taxes <laughs> to do. Um, but just having somebody who's been in the business that I'm trying to break into and tap into her knowledge and just knowing that that like the, the things that I'm going through trying to start a business are super normal um, and, you know, all business owners will go through them. So having that, you know, just to kind of vent to even is really nice. So thanks, Don. <laughs> oh, man, what do I do when I, I want to say... I agree. I'm like, everything that you're saying is like <laughs> preaching to the choir. I'm, like, I'm like, you can talk for me. Um, <laughs> I often listen to, if I'm having a really tough time working on something, I kind of need to disassociate a little bit. So often I'll listen to, like, don't uh, crucify me, Kanye West. Um, <laughs> Kanye West really builds me up when I'm in the middle of something to try and, like, you know, harvest this ego yeah. and be like, oh, yeah, I'm a boss. Yeah, I could do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm somebody. And you're right. Yeah. Harvest the ego. Sometimes yeah. you need it. Sometimes I mean, you need yeah. it. we're all humble and stuff, but like when you need when to, you need to get, get stuff done. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, imposter syndrome is real. Oh, yeah. Very real. <laughs> I'm glad you bring that up because that's another question. But keep going or you just kind of oh, I mean, your ultimate resource. I mean, I don't want to say that it's kind of not looking very good right now. Um. <laughs> I like listening to 
a lot of like books, something that I can completely become immersed in mm. yes. part of my brain where I can kind of go into this like autopilot mode where I'm like, okay, my hands know what's next. And your brain is And my brain's just like in la la la, like having a good time somewhere else. Yeah. This is a, a big question. And, you know, I ask because, of course, I'm curious, but also I am a human and an artist and a creative and a businesswoman. How do you deal with imposter syndrome and how does it show up and how do you live with it? Um, I think it shows up when I do have a lot on my plate and I start to get overwhelmed. I start to think, what did I get myself into? I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I doing this? But oftentimes I just need to reassure myself that I have created this platform for good. I know I'm a good person. And I know that if I just keep trucking along and sticking with it, I'm going to attract really good things for like me, my life and my people that are in it. So that's kind of how I reroute a little bit. Does your inner critic or inner judge have a name? No. And I asked this because I was in a, I went to a women's summer camp and someone was sharing, you know, we were sharing about imposter syndrome. And uh, one of them was saying like that her inner critic, her name is Becky. And when she gets, you know, when Becky starts talking, she's like, shut the fuck up, Becky. Like, I don't need your presence right now. Just like go sit in a corner or something. And it was, it was, I, I don't know, like funny that, um, it had a name and she was able to identify it really well and be like, boom, go to the other room. Oh, uh, I don't know, but I think I'm going to name mine now. That actually sounds like a really yeah. good tactic. Um, Fucking Becky, always yeah. like showing up. Becky, Becky with things. the blonde hair. Um, <laughs> yeah, Im imposter syndrome is definitely no light subject. Uh, some of you may know I'm in the middle of writing a book right now and it's a how-to knitting book. Um, and... I mean, shout out to my publisher because I missed practically every deadline that they gave me. Uh, I said I suck at emails and I'm not lying. Every time I had to sit down and write the book, I constantly, it was, it was almost like having my own therapist. I was constantly talking to myself of like, why are you writing this book? There are so many other people that are, you know, more famous on Instagram or have been knitting longer, like they should be teaching. And so I would just kind of shut close up and shut down and just not write the book and miss a deadline or say like, Oh, uh, my dog got sick. So I'm going to need a couple other days. But then eventually I ran out of time, uh, and running out of time, will do that to you where you're kind of like, okay, Now I'm really going to have to sit down, whether I think I can write this book or not, I'm just going to have to do it. And I kind of, I mean, I've been working on this book all year and it wasn't until my partner and I took a drive to Vancouver, BC. Uh, and we walked, we spent like the day in uh, the art museum. And at the end of the museum, there's this gift shop. You know how all gift shop, art gift shops are. They have a bunch of little books and everything. And there was like a hundred quotes for writers. Uh, and I just happened to open up a, to a page that said, You can fix bad pages, but you can't fix no pages. And I was definitely at the no pages <laughs> time of my book. Uh, and for some reason, that quote just kind of hit me of like, you know, you you can fix anything that you start. Uh, there, you just, there needs to be something to fix. Um, and kind of from that point on, I consistently, anytime that imposter syndrome kind of started to build up, I thought like, well, you know, Maybe you can't do this, but you won't know until you put some sort of effort in and then you could you could always revise later, which is kind of life, you know, 
you're going to make a, a decision and you'll, you can fix it later if it's the wrong one. But if you don't make a decision, like yeah, there's nothing then, to yeah. fix or look forward to. Exactly. Now on a lighter note, what is your dream collaboration? Like dream, everything is possible, dream collaboration. Ooh, man, that's a homework question. This is a homework question. <laughs> I will say that I stayed up extremely late last night working on a bit of a dream collaboration um, with Ace and Jig. I was Whoa. really, really stoked. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I don't even know if I should be saying this right. By the time it's out, everything yeah, it's will be good. out. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I had a little bit of a, uh, I'm not going to remember what we were just calling it. Imposter syndrome. Imposters. I'm like, I can't even, who am I? <laughs> um, yeah, so I feel like I kind of was overthinking it, overthinking it because I was like, I can't mess this up. This is such a good opportunity. And I also had to just sit down and do it. And that's like last night. I was like, I have to do this. And there's no way. I have to just see it all the way through. I sketched it. I looked at the pieces. I like laid everything out. But right now that's, I feel like I'm a little bit feeling my dream collaboration right now. Um, but I definitely. So it's live. That is it's really live. cool. It's live. It's live. Nice. Right now. Yeah. What that's about you? Amazing. I would love to own an Ace and Jig piece and I will definitely get yours. <laughs> Gosh, a live collaboration. Uh, lately, I've been wanting to do uh, kind of move more into the art world and away from just one-off beanies and scarves. Uh, so I guess if we ever figure out who Banksy is, please, hello, I'd, I will yarn bomb whatever you want. I mentioned earlier that I'm a bit of a fool on Instagram. I'll just kind of post goofy things. Uh, so I, I'm also currently in a dream collaboration of mine. A few weeks ago, I posted a picture of just me and a beanie. And I asked Erica Badu if I could make her one. And she said yes. <laughs> I don't know why. So now I'm like making a ski mask for Erica Badu. And so I would say that is for sure my dream collaboration. She She's dope. I mean, who doesn't know Erica Badu? <laughs> Probably my grandparents. I'll Congratulations. <laughs> That's so cool. That is so cool. Congratulations, both of you. Like, that is really cool. And I love, see, like, this is, this is life. Awesome things are happening. But at the same time, you're like, I'm exhausted. I went to bed at 3 a.m. And you're like, oh, I was knitting. You recently came back from a trip uh, to Japan. Yes. With Travel Portland and My People's Market. And you posted a picture of you. It was in the plane or in the subway that you were like, Erica Badu, I'm finishing up your piece yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. those things happen. And you were also like being a human and eating and showering and keeping in touch with people and have, running a business and living life. So this is the good stuff. Thank you for sharing it. Um, now I want to know, again, like we're diving deep, people. What has been out in your creative journey as a maker or an entrepreneur, what has been either your biggest fuck up or um, the hardest lesson to learn? I think that developing a business at a really young or younger age, oftentimes I think about how I'm kind of trading my youth for like this passion. And I love what I do and I'm really happy that I'm working on it now. But at the same time, I think, oh, I'm thinking about things that, you know, are maybe a little ahead of me. Um, and I'm kind of trading a bit of my youth for that. So I wouldn't say it's a fuck up, but it's something I do think about. Yeah. And it's a lesson that it, it doesn't have to be negative, but it's, you know, like a lesson that you're living or maybe it's not even a lesson, but it's just like something really big and important and you're pushing yeah. through. Uh, I am uh, terrible at buying supplies, telling myself I will use it 
And then three years later, I have the same ball of yarn that I never used. Um, and I, I, something that I don't think is talked about often, it's a little bit of taboo is credit cards. I got my first business credit card when I like was kind of trying to start the business and they're like, Oh, 0% interest for 21 months. Great. I'm going to buy all the yarn because of course I'm going to use it. Cause I'm a knitter who's not going to use the yarn. Uh, and then your 21 months pass by and not only did you not use the yarn, but you still have all of that to pay off. So most like I would say my most biggest fuck up, uh, is not being more on top of things like that. And I definitely learned the hard way. And sometimes there isn't any other way to learn than to just kind of experience that. Uh, and so now I like keep all my receipts in one place and I have this, the longest Excel sheet in the world of all of the things I've purchased. It was definitely a harder lesson to learn of like putting yourself in the hole and having to climb back out, um, and not feel like you completely bombed your business in the first year because you had a shiny little black card that was able to buy you all the supplies. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I have art supplies that I bought probably 10, 15 years ago. And it's either like I feel they're too precious and I don't want to put the good sticker, you know, yeah. like that. That thing like yeah. I don't want to commit yeah. this sticker to some place or just like, oh, yeah, sure. Like I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it. And then yeah, stuff, right? I don't know how many times I've told myself, oh, I'm going to get into ceramics and I'm going to keep all of my oil painting supplies from Art 101 in college <laughs> because one day I'm going to do portraits again. Like, great. Like, so cool that you believe, like, you know, believe in yourself. <laughs> You'll do it eventually. But I think it's also key for an artist to be a little bit more on the realistic side when it comes to that stuff. Yes. For, I, I will share that for me. That is... uh a lesson that I'm still learning because I I hit the ground running with my creative journey and my artist career. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a go-getter. I'm like, let's make it happen. Let's do it. And sometimes, you know, since I had yeah, a shiny little credit card that I could put things on, I'm like, oh, of course, because it's going to sell. And then yeah. like uh, <laughs> years later, I still have that inventory or even the art supplies that I haven't used. And I feel like I'm getting better, but it's still, you know, like a, I'm a work in progress, oh, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And I'm glad to, I know that I'm not alone, but there is a lot of shame and guilt around money, talking about credit cards, talking about loans, talking about debt, talking about how do you, how do you make it happen? Yeah, it's, it's a very real thing. And I think, I think some of it might stem from like familial things. If you know, you always have to have, have your shit together. Um, and I'm sure there's pressure for everyone, but I also think that when you decide to go your own path as an artist or whatever your entrepreneur uh, wherever that leads you, there's always that a little bit of added pressure of like, okay, you really can't fuck up because you decided to go against the stream. Like you could be at your desk job right now, totally fine, no debt, but you're, you're choosing to go this way. So there's that added pressure of like, okay, I got to make this work. I got to figure this out. I got to sign up for the next show. I want to know what was the first dollar you ever earned with your craft? So I started uh, like you said in your intro, I started my business because I got an internship to study abroad in Costa Rica uh, to save endangered sea turtles, uh, and I needed money to fund it. So at that stage, I like kind of knew how to knit, 
and the hat, the hats definitely looked a little wonky. I often- They're when, organic. Yes, they're <laughs> organic. Um, I often, anytime I see somebody who's still using a beanie or a scarf from me that I made in those first years, I'm like, you shouldn't have paid me money for that. Like, why did you why, get, take your money back? Uh, but it was, it was a blue beanie that I sold to my best friend in college. Uh, her sister and her cousin bought two beanies from me and one was blue and one was black. Uh, and they still wear them. I'm very surprised. How much did you sell them for? $10 a piece. Uh, so I was, I don't, sometimes I still don't think I'm making money with my business. Like, do you, (laughs) when do you get to that point? Uh, but I definitely was just making back the yarn when I just started. That's great. Um, I feel like I've been also selling since like a young age. I feel like I always sold stuff to people in school. So in first grade, (laughs) I started making beaded keychains, slanging them to the teachers and it was bookmarks. Yeah. Pokemon cards got hot. Um, <laughs> there were probably some fake ones in there. I'm going to be real. Uh, yeah. And then like there was like burned CDs. Also kind of sketch. Candy. Come on. My mom had a Costco membership. <laughs> and then in high school is when I started really getting more into sewing. I got my own sewing machine. And that's when I started helping the punks with their super skinny jeans and the scene kits. Um, so it was like 20 bucks a pop to taper. And then I would help put on patches for the punk kids. That was like the first dollars I was making, like with my, with what I knew how to do. And then once I started freelancing, then it was, I think I helped somebody make, it was called like a hot suit for a dog. It was like for dogs in heat, like show dogs in heat. What? Like a diaper? Yeah. It was kind of like a liner, like a, no, no, no. Dogs need love too. Yeah. So I did that for a little bit and that was like probably the weirdest thing I learned. But I was like getting consistent checks. I was, like, paid? Oh. I was like, oh yeah, I'm making it, man. Like I was like, what do you sewing make? these like I'm dog legs. Not say. I was like, you know, all dogs experience this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those were like the beginnings. Yeah. And then I don't know. I don't think you've shared. How did you learn your craft? How did you, who taught you how to sew? Are you self-taught? Who taught you how to knit? Like, how did that become? Was it a book, a relative? Uh, So in sixth grade, uh, a math teacher gave us an alternative to playing outside, which was knitting. And I used like this super fluffy yarn and I got like maybe an inch or two into the scarf and I was like, this is dumb. Like, I don't want to do this. (laughs) And I never touched it again. Later on in high school, a family member had taught me how to crochet Um, but as far, and that kind of got me back into the fiber world, but as far as knitting, I am all self-taught from books and YouTube and really poorly filmed YouTube videos, (laughs) but just kind of reading and experimenting with patterns and stuff. Yeah. I got that from my dad. Just always trying to figure it out on your own. Uh, I started sewing, hand sewing when I was five. I was very, uh, inspired by a reading rainbow episode where they like had like the family quilt. So I started hand sewing then. And then I had a neighbor and she was a seamstress, um, aside from a lot of other things. And I would just go over there and kind of watch and be like, can I have some scraps? Like, can I just like trying to make stuff for my dolls? That was the beginning. And then I was one of the last classes to take home ec. I feel like they got to put that back in school. Yes, they do. And I totally geeked out. I was like, I'm not making one pillow. I'm going to make two pillows. You need your pillow made? I'm going to make your pillow. So, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, was, I got really, you I was, I was, I was always trying to like yeah. hustle a little bit all the time. And yeah, then in high school, took sewing again. 
that was like literally the one and only class. They canceled it after that. So sad. And then I just, of course, had like a really, really invested into it at this point. So I ended up going to school for apparel production in Pomona. So I got to learn like the legit way and got to see like, you know, working with industrial machines and kind of understanding like factory finishes and like stuff like that. So I, I got to like go through the whole thing. I definitely probably could have learned like through books and YouTube and things like that. I feel like anyone can learn anything if they're really passionate about it. I love academia just because like I just am kind of like that teacher's pet sometimes. (laughs) Just want to like please. But no, I I did it that way. Cool. I am also a self-taught artist. The only thing that I had formal education was wheel throwing because it's so technical that you can't pass. And even then, it was like a solid six months until I made a bowl that wasn't lopsided or super chunky or didn't (laughs) fly off the bat. If you've been looking for a sign to get on a project, to do something, this is your sign, okay? If you were asking for a sign, this is your sign. You can learn anything. You can do anything. Maybe if you want to fly, maybe not. Maybe go to like flight lessons or whatever but um (laughs) if it's something crafty you know there's tons of tutorials and books and stuff and and people that are willing to share their knowledge so this is your sign okay just wanted to put that out there youtube is its own university like they need to start pushing that because you can learn anything on youtube yes thank you so much for sharing all of that now i want to move to the lightning round and feel free to answer as as a creative or as a human or whatever comes up, right? What was a toy that you always wanted and never had? For me, it was moon shoes and... Moon shoes, uh, yes. Remember those? (laughs) Moon shoes and um, power wheels. A working Easy Bake Oven. I feel like yeah. I got a Bootsy uh, Easy Bake Oven. Or maybe they were just Bootsy to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Heelys. Uh, definitely Heelys. Those, oh, those, for those that don't know, those are just shoes with wheels in the heel. Heelys. Um, that, was, that was a big thing. And I think eventually my uncle dared me to eat a chili pepper and he said he would get them. And I did do that eventually, but it took a, quite a number of chili pepper seeds. <laughs> I think I always wanted, they had like the talk boy and talk girl. Yeah. So yeah. silly. But no, it was no, no, just no, like, no, a, no, 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 no. We're oh, here. Like, like what, you know, like, no, there's no silly dreams. <laughs> no, I mean, I, like the fact that it was like home gender, that it was yeah. gender. That was just like ridiculous. Like, it was just like one color, one color. They did the same thing. But I was, my friend's brother had one and we would like use that. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I just want to talk boy so bad. I just want to like record myself and like really high pitch voice. <laughs> That reminds me of those little robot dogs. Yes. I don't remember what they were called, but they were just little robot dogs where their face light up and they walked as if they looked like Frankenstein. Yeah. I don't even know what the appeal was. We had real dogs. <laughs> the appeal was for me because I had one. My dad was like, no animals. You had one? Oh, nice. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you just like touched the bone to the nose and it would just be like, it was. It just <laughs> always kind of seemed like it was malfunctioning, honestly. Okay. Yeah. Well, technology, you know. <laughs> Could you please share an unpopular opinion? I think that I can be come off a little too blunt sometimes with people that are close to me. I just don't like to have any fluff and just kind of tell it like it is. And often it just comes off really mean. Um, 
I don't really know how to cushion it. I, uh, just and on that on. note, do you want to share something that you feel or think and you're like, it is what it is? Oh, no. I feel bad. <laughs> no, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Oh. Yeah, it's funny that you say that you're blunt. When I moved to Portland, people often told me I was very direct and transparent and I didn't understand that. Uh, but Portland's passive aggressive. So, uh, agreed. Un- <laughs> uh, uh, unpopular opinion that is kind of just mainstream now. And we are also in Portland where the practice of using marijuana products, I think, uh, bringing generations together and explaining how those products can totally help you in times of stress or when your hands hurt from knitting, uh, using those things is super helpful. Sorry, Lola. FYI. (laughs) CBD all the way, baby. Yeah. What is your favorite tool in your craft or in life? It can be a nap. It can be just like something that you're like, oh, that's my go-to. Or it can be a hack. I mean, in my craft, I'm for sure in love with my seam ripper. It's like my bestie right there. It's like, that that's the person who's blunt with me. It's like, you fucked up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Undo all this. Yeah. But I, a, a tool that I use, I'm like, water? Can that be a tool? <laughs> well, yeah. Staying hydrated all the time. Staying you hydrated. Get baths, you can go to the bathroom. Cool. Yeah. Water is a great resource. Um, I don't know. I need to think a little bit more. It's cool. Christopher, that's my partner. He bought me this camera that follows you wherever you move. Uh, and I've Like a drone or like no, a stand uh, thingy? It's like, like it's, a, a, it's like on a mic stand, but it's like this camera that it just knows, like you tell yourself, it, you tell it to like focus on, on you or the frame that you want. And so if like you move within it, uh, it like just knows to follow the wow. screen. Yeah, and it's super helpful for tutorials. And so that's something I've been working on. Uh, and right now that, that thing is my best friend because I don't, I just, I have an app, I tell it what to do and it's, it's great. That is so cool. So we're going to finish up with the question of when do you feel magical? Times like this. Uh, you, I mean, there's definitely always a point uh, in your career where you're like, uh, how is this going to work? How am I going to make it? And times like this, when you get asked to do something cool like this or talk about your journey, you mentioned that I recently went to Japan. When people reach out to me for those things, it's like, cool, you you see something that I put out that inspired you to, you know, have me do something for you. So those are the magical moments when, uh, I guess when you feel seen or when I feel seen, because you often think that there are so many sewers and so many knitters and Portland is full of crafty people. Like how on earth are you going to stand out? And so when those people reach out, it's very validating. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) No, dear. No tears. <laughs> what about you, Drea? When do you feel magical? When do I feel magical? Um, I think when I'm able to pull off a project and that person just like, is like, I don't know if you're going to be able to do this. I don't know if it's possible. A lot of the time it's like growing a garment. I love like doing that for people when they're like, oh, I have this thing. It means so much to me. And then they like get it on and they're like, wait, how? What? You're a wizard. Like, <laughs> I love, that happen. makes me feel and magical. You made them feel good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is so good. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being here and witnessing this. Thank you. I see you. I love you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Can we yeah. give them a round of applause? <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and now, if you have any questions for any of us, feel free to raise your hand. Anything that you want to know, 
I don't know, anything that I didn't cover that you're curious about, you can ask. What exactly is your business? You like people come to you with something and they're like, hey, I want you to help me fix this for my outfit? Or yes. I'm, I'm going like, to just repeat the question. So you want to know what Drea's business is? Like, why is Hidden Opulence? So Hidden Opulence is a sustainably focused alterations, upcycling, and small batch. So it's kind of divided into two sects where like, Someone like you can come and visit me at my pop-up location at Artifact. It's on 36th and Division. You can make an appointment. You can come by. I didn't say Fridays and Saturdays is when we're there. Uh, you can come by and we can talk about a garment uh, that you want to do something to. Or you can drop off something. If, you, if it's just a mend, I do all kinds of mends. You can have a zipper replaced. You can change out the buttons. We can add an extra pocket. We can have conversations like that. And then the other side of the business is doing small batch for local designers. Local meaning all of the Pacific Northwest. I have a client in Seattle. I've had clients in Tacoma. And I'm about to have a client in um, Oklahoma. So I'm just there to provide that kind of, um, like I mentioned earlier, they're all like body positive or they're just super inclusive or they're working on something that's very sustainable. And often how the industry works is when you have your item produced, you'll go to a factory and sometimes the minimums are like 200 units plus 500 units. And I'm there to kind of try and cut the waste with that and say, okay, we need to do 100 units. We need to do 50 units. I'm kind of there to be that middle person to test out or just help them do something smaller. Yeah. What is your most magical project that you've done? Your unicorn. What is your unicorn? Your most magical project that you've done? Uh, 100% the book. Some of you might know, Vani and I met through a program that Portland Business Alliance put on last year, and they put it on uh, quite a number of years, but they essentially funded retail spaces for us to test out our business ideas. So in a way, that is also another magical unicorn. But through that, this book opportunity came up, and I never thought that I was going to be writing a book. Even when I was writing the book, I didn't think I was going to be writing a book. <laughs> but uh, that is definitely the biggest project I've ever worked on. The one thing that's taken the longest, uh, I've second-guessed it a thousand times. And I now, after this experience, I think it is definitely something that I'd want to do again now that I kind of figured out just like the basics of what you should know when you're writing a book the first time around. I wish I could tell you. I, I don't know. I can't think of a unicorn project other than like I, the one that I'm working or the one that I just finished. And I want to say, <laughs> this is my unicorn. As of now, Magical Humans is my, my most magical project so far. Although I feel magical and I know that um, I create magic with my workshops and my ceramics and the things I do, being able to do this and get really real and also do what I do for a living, that is, that is my most magical project so far. Thank you for asking. Yeah, of course. What would you tell the... 15, 16-year-old adolescent artist. Oh, man. What would you tell to your 15, 16-year-old self, the artist that you are when you're a teenager? 
you have to make some ugly shit sometimes. Uh, not every design is a winner, but sometimes you'll make something and it is not the best looking. Like shout out to my original customers who are wearing their uneven, oddly placed <laughs> colors, scarves and, and everything. Um, but you definitely need to make that ugly stuff before the better stuff comes out. It's definitely all a work in progress. Um, I would say make more. Yeah. Like don't be so don't be so insecure about like each thing that you're working on. Just make as much as you can because the more you make, the more you're gonna get better. Yeah. So like keep keep it pushing. Yeah. And start now. Just start right, start then and right there. Now. <laughs> There's no need to wait. There's no age requirement. Right. And I would say I would tell myself that academia or going to art school is not that important, that I'm still an artist if I don't have an art degree, that my feelings and my color combinations are valid, and to just really, really, really pay attention to my gut and what my heart is telling me and, and go with it. I would tell myself, don't please anyone. You are your number one priority. Funny enough... One of the questions I asked to my podcast guest is what is the best advice that anyone has given you? And the best advice that anyone has given me uh, was by my friend Katie, who's here in the audience. And I was, I don't even remember what, what the thing was, but she told me, you know what's best for you. And that changed my life. Thank you, Katie. Because that is so, you, you can apply that to every single thing because all that matters is your connection to your intuition. And I would tell my 15, 16-year-old self, trust your gut, trust in yourself. You got this. On that note, we're going to end this program. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is what I am taking away from my conversation with Drea and Alisa Ray. Number one, if you know how to make something, please share it. There is enough room for all of us. Number two, don't be afraid of harvesting your ego when you need to build yourself up. You got this. Number three, you can fix anything that you start, but there needs to be something to fix. So start now. Number four, sometimes there isn't any other way to learn than to go through something. So don't beat yourself up. It happens to all of us. Learn from it and move on. Woo! And it is a wrap on season one of Magical Humans. What an incredible year full of magical stories from all these brave creatives. I feel so inspired and motivated to start this new year with a refreshed mind and a strong connection to myself. I am prioritizing my self-care and self-love, and I encourage you to do the same. Follow your joy. And please, 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 if you took away anything from this podcast, let it be the reminder and a universal permission to be your truest self. Tell your story. Share your struggles and your wins. The world needs it. But most importantly, you need it. You owe it to your hardworking body and beautiful soul to live the life that you want. There might be some obstacles in the way, but I promise you it's worth it. Don't be scared. We got you. And if you're scared, do it anyway. We'll be waiting for you on the other side of fear. 
amazing things are waiting for you on the other side of fear. Remember, you are a magical human. We're all magical humans, and we're all in this together. And as the wise Mary Oliver wrote, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vania Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby. Busby.